0: Our Bible is open tonight at 1 Corinthians 1. The last time we were in Corinthians, two weeks ago tonight, we looked at the first nine verses. We entitled the study that evening, From Rags to Riches. And we basically pointed out what the church at Corinth actually possessed in Christ. And Paul just gave the entire nine verses talking about their position. Tonight, Paul's going to begin to deal with a problem in that church. Now, there's a church, I guess there's perhaps any problem that could be imagined now in a church. It existed in the church at Corinth, and yet the apostle Paul was a master at dealing with problems. Paul, first of all, I repeat, he showed them their position, their possessions, what they actually had in Jesus Christ, and now he's going to talk about their performance. And what he's really saying is, bring your performance up to your position. And begin with me, please, in verse 10. It's a very, very tender subject tonight, one really that's not pleasant to even talk about, but uh, no problems are pleasant to deal with, and usually people will treat problems one or two ways. They'll either ignore the problem, hoping it'll, it'll go away, or they'll deal with the problem, and that's, of course, what we have to do with problems, whether they be personal problems or problems in our home or problems in the church, and problems do arise in churches. And so the apostle really puts his finger on the basic problem in our study tonight. Now, we're going to learn before we get through 1 Corinthians, and we'll be preaching from time to time on Sunday evening here, and uh, we'll be in Corinthians for a long time. It's a long book. There's uh, many, many uh, wonderful subjects we'll look at, but there are some very touchy problems that churches have now, and we'll look at them in detail. We'll not evade any of them. We'll not avoid them. We'll not try to skip over. We're going to look at every section of 1 Corinthians, And tonight, I repeat, Paul just gets right down to the root of the matter. Paul doesn't deal with the fruits of these problems. He's going to touch tonight on the root problem. And so in verse 10, he says this to him. Now I beseech you, brethren. Paul uses a very tender term. Paul's not ordering them around. He's an apostle, and he could have uh, thrown his weight around as a special messenger, but Paul... He had more wisdom than that and Paul had the love of God in his heart and the Bible says love bears long and the love reaches out to help. It doesn't kick people around. So Paul is not coming on the scene ordering people. But Paul, as it were, when he uses the word beseech, is the picture as if a person was even on their knees pleading, begging with a person. And he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in these first ten verses, our Lord's name is used and referred to in every verse. We're going to look in a moment and find out that was one of the keys to solving the problem in this church at Corinth. And so he says, I beseech you, brethren, and he's doing it, not because of him being an apostle, not because of some authority from some hierarchy. Paul is coming right to the highest authority he could appeal to. He says it's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what he's going to talk to him about. that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Kaloa. There are contentions among you. I said a moment ago that Paul gets right to the root of the matter. Paul's not talking about heresy here. Paul's not writing to a church and says that it's been rumored around that these problems exist. Nor Paul goes to the source of where he got the information. And Paul said, if there's nothing to this, this that I'm asking you about, then you take it up with the house of Kaloa. Because this is where my information came from. I mentioned two weeks ago, and for emphasis sake tonight, I'll, I'll just mention it again because it goes with this message. You know, oftentimes if we're not careful, we're guilty of passing along something that may not even be any substance to. And no one knows but my wife, who I'm referring to here, and I would not say anything that would... Uh, reflect upon someone the wrong way because I don't know the person's motive, so I'll need your undivided attention a moment. But after a visit today, comment was made about a person knowing so much about some problems in people's lives. And the comment was made to me was that that person, every comment would seem to be negative about some weakness or something in someone's life. And and my answer was simply this. I said, I know the church he's from. And that's the constant practice. And I said, I wasn't shocked that that person, every time the person mentioned someone, uh, it was something negative that was said about the person and something really as far as I would be concerned shouldn't even ever be mentioned to anyone. Didn't help anyone, didn't edify us. But yet, and yet some of the things they said, I happened to know two things that were said, and I refuted them. I said, there's no substance to that. And it hurt it four states away. And I said, I just happen to know this enough. You can write that one off the list. And I'm not being unkind. I wouldn't, wouldn't dare try to judge that person's motive. Of course, I don't know their motive. But I do say this. We're not careful sometimes things can be passed along about someone else that we've heard. That may not have an ounce of truth or substance to. And as I said here last week, I think it'd be a healthy practice. The first time I ever got a hold of this truth, it came to me from another, and I put it down on on something that I could just then commit it to memory. And and the person labored the point when he talked about what I'm going to talk about tonight. And he said, before we attempt to pass on anything about another, we ought to ask ourselves three questions. Number one, is it a fact? I mean, is this true? What I'm about to say. And number two, is it necessary? Do I need to tell you something that I'm about to tell you about someone else? And number three, if it's a fact, and if it's necessary that I tell it, number three, am I telling it in love? Am I telling it with kindness? Or am I telling it in a way to put someone else there? Now, the apostle is not writing to a church and saying, I heard this. The apostle is not saying it's been rumored to me about you. Now, you see, Paul, he spent 18 months in Corinth establishing this church. And now Paul has received this information from, it just simply says, the household of Chloe, And uh, no doubt this was a, a lady here whose servants was probably in that, in that household. The word of house here is really a reference to a household. And they had come to Paul and they had said, Paul, these problems, this This division in our church is existing and it's tearing our church to pieces. And then Paul, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, picks up his pen, writes this letter, and not just for the, the group in that day, we learned in our first study that it's for everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So look back again with me. He says to them that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind... And in the same judgment. Verse 11, it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them, which are of the house of Kaboy, there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, that's the Hebrew form of the name for Peter, for Simon, and then there was a group saying, and I have Christ. Now get the picture. Here's what Paul is writing to them. Paul was saying in that church, it was split up in a fourfold way. There was a group that claimed to be those that followed Paul. There were others that said, no, we follow Apollos. Others said, we follow Cephas or Simon Peter. And then there was a group who actually said well we don't follow any of these servants and they said we just we're just of christ jesus only we don't need anyone else now notice how paul comes back here verse 13. is christ divided was paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of paul paul is not minimizing baptism when he says what he does here He's just simply going to say to them that the way they had split up that assembly and the way they were actually broken up in fragments, Paul is saying, I thank God that I baptized none of you. That is, he's saying, I repeat, he wasn't minimizing baptism, but he was simply saying if that was going to be the result. Then he names a couple of them. He says, Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I want to talk to you tonight about something that was heavy on Paul's heart and something tonight that's pressing up on my own heart. I I mentioned earlier that this is the root problem that so many other problems stem from in the church at Corinth. Someone has said that we ought not be so concerned about just tearing down the cobweb all the time. We ought to look for the spider, amen? Well, if they kill the spider, that'll take care of the cobweb. And so here's something that Paul is going to deal with And Paul being, of course, the man of God that he was, and this is not just Paul writing, this is the inspiration of God, this is the Holy Spirit leading Paul to put this down. And Paul was saying to him, you see, the church was a a divided church. I told the boys back there, they asked me sometime, what's the title, Pastor? What should we put on the tape? I told them tonight, put on the tape, how to split a church. And and that's exactly what he's saying here. He is saying this type of attitude splits a church up and it split this church at Corinth up in a fourfold way. Now we're going to learn a little bit later in the fourth chapter. We're going to learn that Paul says that he had taken these names and in a figure he'd applied them to himself and to Apollos. So I gather by that that it wasn't really Paul or Apollos or Cephas that this group, he just used him as an illustration. He was saying to them, here's one crowd, you're saying that uh, you follow me, and another crowd saying you have nothing to do with Paul and his crowd, you follow Apollos, and but uh, another crowd here's Cephas, another crowd here's Christ. Now what Paul is going to get them to see is that not Paul, not Apollos, not Cephas, but Jesus Christ and him alone is the head of the church. Now also we're going to learn other places, so stay with me carefully. I think I need to mention this, but unless there be some confusion, we're going to find Paul saying a little bit later, he's going to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so Paul's not going to say to him that it's wrong for them to follow their spiritual leader. You see in that early church they were different ones because Paul's gonna say that one planted and someone else came along and watered, but it's God that gives the increase, and in that early church, there was a number of people help have a part in forming the church. And now the world has gotten into the church. Carnality is controlling them. And Jesus Christ is not Lord in their life. And so the church has been broken up into into really the word that he uses here is the word for fragments, just like you take something and break it into pieces. And Paul says the body of Christ has been fragmented. It's been broken up in pieces. And here the church was to present to the world the love of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, you're offering to them a body that's ineffective, a body that's broken up. I have tonight three words that's on my heart that I believe God wants me to share with you. And the first word is the one I just referred to, and it's the word fragmentation. We're going to look at the pearl of fragmentation, the danger of the church being broken into pieces. And then we're going to look at the word mutilation. And uh, I'll try to point that out in the word, in verse 13 in a moment. It's a clear word there. And then we want to look at the word restoration. Paul appeals and Paul begs them to be restored in their fellowship, brought back into closeness. Now listen carefully. Here's a church, a church that was in danger of being broken in just pieces. Now they hadn't split off and gone away from the assembly. This was in that local assembly, Paul, right into the church that was at Corinth. He called it up in verse number 1, the church of God, which is at Corinth. And so that was their location. And yet inside of that fellowship, Paul said, there is the peril or the danger of that one body, which is Jesus Christ. The church is his body, he's the head. He says there's the danger of fragmentation, the peril of it. He says there's the danger of being broken into pieces. Listen carefully. I've often said this. Did you know the devil rather cause a church fuss than to open a pornography store any day? Did you know the devil rather cause disunity in the family of God than to sell a barrel of liquor any day? Listen carefully. Did you know today in this city the thing the devil would rather most do if he could just have on his list and he could say as I said to the men downstairs as we talked about the work of demons sometime and if, if he could just dispatch demons and say go into this city or any city and uh, and if they could just have their desire and their freedom to do any any devilish work that they would set out to do you know what he would do you know where he would visit. He'd visit Bible-preaching churches. I mean, sometimes people make the, make the uh, reference as if, you know, uh, the devil is, is, uh, is, is not against the church anymore. Now, you listen carefully. The devil would rather divide a church that stands for the truth and preaches the Word of God than any other thing I think that he could set out to do on this earth. The devil never likes for a preacher to preach what I'm going to preach tonight. The devil never likes it to be made. The devil likes to stay in the dark, and he likes, to, likes for us to never be aware of his tools, Paul called them. And Paul's going to tell us in the Corinthians that he's not ignorant of the devices, the, 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 the tools of the devil that he uses against the people of God. I'm no smart addict, so listen carefully. And I don't mean this in any wrong way. If it comes across in an arrogant way, I, I don't purpose to put it across that way. But listen carefully. In other churches that I've pastored, I've said this, and when I was the pastor of this good church before, some of you that was with us then, you can relate to this immediately. But I'm just a strong believer in taking care of a problem while it can still be cared for then that let it get completely out of hand when you can do nothing about it. And I just think that's sensible. I don't think we have to have a Ph.D. To, to, to understand something like that. I just believe if you put the match out while it's still a match, it won't catch the so force of And then if it ever catches the bar, it's something out of hand then. And it's detrimental and there's no putting out. People have said to me, especially one person I'm thinking of, and I have no unkindness when I say this. God knows my heart. I love that brother, though he has been hostile in me and has swam me through the years. I have no animosity toward him, and I doubt if there's one soul who my family, I know who I'm talking about. And I will never mention his name. God knows that's true. But you know what he got upset with me about? You know what he, what he told me of that? He said, Wilbur Hurt's hooked up on little stuff. He said, little petty things followed above hurt. He said a little silly thing He said little things that no on and out of uh, the snap of your finger. He said it bothers you. And said when we have a meeting, there'd be times instead of talking about something momentum more or something huge, he said Brother Hurt gets gets it, uh, his face gets red, and his voice gets lifted over a little thing. Yeah, it's a little bossy. That destroys the vines. The roaring lines is sometimes what we call little things, and the things that Paul's going to talk about in a moment that led the word that he's going to use. You know what it was that led to the Corinthian church being fragmented, broken in four pieces, and a body that's broken apart cannot function. And we're going to sit there a minute. You know what it was that started the church? Little things, little inconsistencies, hard feelings toward one another. Those things that wasn't cared for while they could have been cared for. I wouldn't dignify and I and I would be embarrassed and ashamed to stand here tonight and, and talk about some things that I know as a fact. Some churches across this country that God's let me see in 20 years. I'm talking about one time powerful churches. One time a body of Christ you can walk in, and the power of God, and in words of the word. Some of them got the doors closed tonight. Another set a handful of despicable few and the devil doing dirt with them and no power, no reality. You know what closed the doors? Those things? Wasn't cared for? Wasn't? Wasn't heresy, preaching error. Wasn't even what sometimes we think of, the quote unquote, big sins, right? And the immoral uh, and the sexual. Wasn't, wasn't things like that. They're tonight, they're so silly and so insignificant, I wouldn't dignify them with talking about them in the pool. Here, but I've seen churches, those are I said, it's a shame, brother. And here's Paul on his face as it were, picking up his hand, riding back to a church. And Paul described that church there, and he was saying, brethren, brethren, do you know what you're doing? You are taking the body of Jesus Christ, which is one body. You're presented to a world as life It's broken to pieces. And Paul's going to say to us that that body without that unity, of course, he's going to use later this human body as an analogy, as a picture of the spiritual body. And in our bodies put together. We need every member of this body for the body to perform as well to perform. Yeah. So Paul picks up his pen. It wasn't easy for that man of God to write back to a people. And there was a group of false teachers at Corinth putting Paul down, laughing at him, saying his speech was contemptible, his body present is weak, and said, oh, he can write big things in a letter. But when he gets here, Paul... And then they were slandering and putting him down in the letter they sent to him. And Paul didn't defend his own... Own personal interest here. He just said, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And he's going to say in a minute, I didn't baptize you in my name, but I baptized you in the name of the Lord. And it's the Lord that paid the price. And he appeals on that basis for that church to have unity. I repeat, it pictures something that's been broken apart. I, uh, I preached in the church. I couldn't, I thought, to I, be honest, I thought, the, I thought the brother was joking with me, I thought he just put me off. And uh, he said, "Well, we need a revival. I got there and got checked in where I was to stay. I said, most of us do, brother. I said, I do too. I just, join will you God give us a revival? And he was a little bit reluctant. He said, yeah, but we really need it. I said, most of us do. He said, brother, Wednesday night, this, this was on the, I was going to be there with them on the Friday through the weekend. He said, Wednesday night, the business meeting, he said, one of the another now down out in the hall, and they got outside. I said, church? <laughs> yeah, he said, we need revival. I said, I think you do. Amen. I, I thought he was joking. Did you know that was spread all over the time? Did you know the media picked that up? I witnessed to a man out there, he laughed in my face. Where are you preaching? Lord? I had to tell me, you know, I felt about like that. I've been a rug out on the corner. I stayed in the motel not long ago. And the fellow was painting over at the side, and I was praying for God to give us a meeting. And, and, and I tried to be a witness daily to somebody around. And the Lord seemed to say to me, talk to that fellow painting. And I went over and talked to the fellow. And just just was friendly with him. And he got off the lot and, and was very open to me. I'm telling him, he said, were you preaching that preacher? And I told him. He said, you must be joking. <laughs> <laughs> I said, very much. He said, you must be guilty. I said, no, I <laughs> may not be doing much, but I'm preaching all that. I still don't know where the voice coming from. And I'm aware that hypocrites sometimes, and I'm aware sometimes people that likes to hide their sins and their wickedness behind, sir, so I'm aware they do that. And so I'm, I'm not gullible. I don't fall for everything anybody tells me. But, brethren, that church was to be blamed on the kind of one of the worst scandals and split ups I've ever heard of. And when you went out to sit, that old boy lived way over somewhere else in the and forgot to that church back in there. Oh, you listen to me. We not, not take this with the grain of salt. We're not just talking about kindergarten stuff tonight. We're not just talking about some little penny ante something tonight. We're talking about something that's majorly for the devil. We're talking about the very thing tonight the devil shoots his biggest guns at and that's to cause disunity among the people of God and he knows that if he ever divides us he'll defeat us because a house divided can never stand. And when there's a body divided, I repeat, that body cannot form and function the rather as God wants it to. Well, he's saying there's the peril, there's the danger of fragmentation. He said a church could be split all up that way. And then look at the next word. He's gonna use the word we've read all the way through. Look at verse 13. He gives us a word here that's interesting. He says, is Christ divided? And the word that Paul uses there is a word that was very often used in the Old Testament. The word this word is translated from is really the picture of the word when they took that body and brought it in and the high priest put it on that altar altar, and it was the body that would be cut in pieces, not the whole burnt offering, but it would be the the body of the sacrifice cut in pieces and they would say that they mutilate the body. I was in a place some time ago, and in the news, it was showing that where a small child had been taken from out of, out of her yard, really. And when they found her, the, the captioned large letters said, An age of the child had said, Body mutilated." And they went ahead to tell how that beast of a man, even he cut her little ears off, her nose cut, had it all in a plastic bag, cut each of her fingers off, cut off here, 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 just cut her and cut my pieces. And uh, he had cut across here and again here. And they used the term to describe that body, to say that her little body was mutilated. And when they brought that that uh, priest, I repeat, brought that orphan in, and they took the offering. and there were different sections that were take in particular offerings. Old Testament put them on the altar and, and the word that's used for divided here is the same word. Now it's not the same word that's used in verse number 10. And so when the Holy Spirit leads a writer to use the word, he doesn't just, you, you see, words are chosen by the Spirit of God. I believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible. I mean by that it's verbally word by word and every bit of it's inspired of God. I believe that with all my heart tonight. And when the Holy Spirit led the writer to use a certain word, he had a purpose in it. Not just divided like verse 10. Look at it, he says division. Now that's the word to fragment, break something up in pieces, as I said. But the verse in verse 13 is Christ divided. That's that other word. That's the word that describes a body that's been mutilated. A body that's been broken. A body that's been literally chopped into pieces. And so he's saying now, not only was there the peril of fragmentation, but he talks about the pity of mutilation. Just like the body that was mutilated, cut to pieces. He says, is Christ that way? Is Christ mutilated? Is Jesus Christ's body cut up in pieces like that? And then he goes ahead and adds, was Paul crucified for you?" Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You see, and tied into that verse, he's going to talk about the cross of Christ, and he's going to talk about the cause of Jesus Christ. And that cause is pictured in baptism when we lower a candidate into the water that's put their faith in Jesus Christ and lift them back up. In picture, that picture is the very message of the church. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying that's the purpose. That's the cause. And he's saying the pity of mutilation is when something has been cut to pieces like that, the very message we're to offer to the community and the city and the surrounding area of us is the message of the cross of Christ and the cause of Jesus Christ that's getting people saved by the message of the cross and getting them ready for heaven, keeping them out of hell. Paul is simply saying when this happens in a church, that message is cut to pieces. Now listen carefully, that's always the sad thing. Listen, a healthy body, I'm talking about a physical body now, will function properly. An unhealthy body may still function, but it will not function to its capacity. It will not reach its limit. It will not reach the the potential that's there if if that body is, is not healthy. And Paul, all the way through Corinthians, I repeat, he's going to make that analogy. He's going to look at the human body. He's going to say the eye needs the feet and the feet needs the eye and the hand needs the other parts of the body. And he's saying because one says he's not the other, that doesn't mean he's not a part of the body. And we'll go in detail when we get over to about the 12th chapter along that line. But here in his introductory remarks, he's saying Christ, who is the head of the church and the church being his body, is he divided? Is he mutilated? And then I repeat, he talks about his cross, the message of Calvary, and talks about the cause, which, of course, is soul winning and reaching precious souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then third, after he talks about the peril of fragmentation, danger of breaking the body up in pieces, he then talked about the pity of mutilation. When that happens, he said it pictures the body just cut to pieces. And then here's really the thrust of the whole message. And it's the third and final point tonight. Go back to verse 10 and notice the plea for restoration. The plea for restoration. Notice what he says again. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Now, I I need to comment. He was not saying that we're not to sound like a a tape recording everyone saying the same word that's not the idea at all but what he was saying in their speaking they were confronting each other in opposition and he's dealing with that problem and he was saying and we're going to see what he says in the the latter part let's just look at the verse and then go to another verse he says that you'd be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment now what mind is he talking about Paul was not indicating and neither am I implying tonight that God wants the local church to be sort of like uh, cookie-cutter Christians. I mean by that, everybody just uh, look alike and talk alike and dress alike and, and all have the same preference and the same taste. And you see, there are places try to put people in a mold and call that unity. Well, that's not unity. That's uniformity. That's trying to get everybody to, to conform to something from without. And that does not produce unity in the heart. Let me see if I'm illustrating. I have no, no one in mind when I say this. And, and if someone thinks I'm picking, have someone in mind. I, I'm not thinking of anyone tonight. But suppose when we came on these grounds and started in this building to come here tonight to, to sing and to pray and to worship and to hear a message. And suppose if all of us was given a uniform and everyone was dressed exactly alike. Identical. I mean, you. I mean, you'd have to, and you'd have to look carefully to even tell us apart. And suppose we put a covering on the head, and every person is alike, and we'd come in here, and someone then maybe could view us from without, and they'd say, "Look what unity!" Not necessarily. I don't mean unity. That wouldn't mean the heart unity that glorified God. That wouldn't mean the unity that produced love. That wouldn't mean unity because there's something on the outside of us that looks like everyone else. I repeat, that's uniformity, and Paul does not have that in mind. There's a difference in union and unity. Billy Sunday used to say you could take two Tomcats and tie their tails together and put them over a clothesline. He said, that's union. They're hooked together. But he said, my brother, that's not unity. Amen. Amen. It'd be a long ways from unity if you had two cats tied together. But that would be union. That would be putting somebody together or something together. And unity and union is not one and the same. And I repeat, for emphasis sake, neither is, is unity of heart that he talks about, and, and, and that, that conformity to something and uniformity from without. They are not the same either. Now what does he mean? Look at the verse again. Here's a plea for restoration. He, he pleads for them and he says, you come back together, you be restored in this fellowship and perfectly, that means completely, joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. What mind is he talking about? He's talking about The mind of Christ. You may want to put these verses down. Philippians chapter 2. Very familiar passage tonight. In the letter to the Philippians chapter 2. Paul the writer again. And Paul talks about a lowly mind. And Paul talks about that person that's willing to take uh, the last place. And you know who he appeals to here as our example? Chapter 2 of Philippians and verse 5 says. Let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That is, Jesus was God, and he'd have claimed that equality. It wouldn't have been robbing God of of his deity because Jesus was God. And so Paul is saying, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but notice this verse now, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now get the picture. Paul is saying to a church in Philippi, chapter 2, he was appealing for that unity there. He was dealing in chapter 4 with a couple of, of ladies in that church that had a run-in with each other, and he even calls both of them by name and says he was pleading with those women. Paul was not unkind, but he was very plain, very personal. And he said there was a woman by the name of Sintiki and a woman by the name of Eurotus the there, and they were not together, and they were conflicting and causing trouble in that church. And Paul said, I plead for those ladies. And he said the leaders, help those ladies to get together. And he's pleading for them to... Get in the same mind. Well, what's he talking about? Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Back to our text tonight, Paul says now, I want you to be perfectly joined together in the same mind. And he's going to tell us a little bit later the reason I went to Philippians because it's a little more clear than it is here in the Corinthian passage. And Paul is saying, here's the picture. You see, in that church at Corinth, Instead of being spirit-filled, we're going to learn in the third chapter, there's three kinds of people in this room tonight. There's a person that the Bible calls a natural man. There's a person the Bible calls a spiritual man. And there's a person the Bible calls a carnal man. Now, two of those men are saved. And I'm using the word man in the generic sense, mankind. But the natural man is a person that's only had the natural birth, never been born of the Spirit. And so they're unsaved. But even in the spiritual family, there is what he calls a spiritual person, and he calls a carnal person, and he writes to this church and says, Brethren, I can't write to you and call you spiritual, but he says, you are carnal, and you're yet babes in Christ. Well, they've been saved long enough, they ought to have been mature saints. And one of the characteristics of a baby is they're fussy. Babies are always contentious. Babies can't get along with each other. As long as a baby has his way and can play with the toy he wants to play with, and be in the spotlight all the time, that baby will have a little of contentment. But the moment you take his toy, and the moment he don't have his way, you've got a problem on your head. Dr. McGee says, he's preaching some churches, in one not long ago, and said they had a ballroom. <laughs> That's where you take those babies to ball. Amen? And he said... Uh, He said, I've seen some churches ought to make the whole thing a ballroom. Well, Dr. McGee's got a way of putting it across, amen. Well, you know what, Paul, and and, and I love Paul. Paul Paul's never one kind, but Paul wasn't afraid of people. And Paul, the man I thought he was, he addressed the the issue and got right to the root of the matter and said, let's kill the spider, and these spider webs won't keep on bubbling all the time. And Paul was saying to that church, "That some of you just got to have your way. Paul said, if you don't, you cause these these contentions. And the word for contention in verse 11, he said, there are contentions among you. It's the word for strife. It's the word for argument. It's a word for dispute. There were people trying to have their way and fussing to get their way. And if they didn't have their way, they was created little problems. And they get somebody to create a problem around them. And I personally don't think it was Paul the Paulus. He said, I've transferred this to us in a figure. He said, I'm speaking figuratively. I'm just using us as an example. And though Paul did start the church and Paulus did come along later, but I think Paul would just use it because he didn't call the names public, didn't know the names. That was insignificant. Who the little crowd that's forming around? Here's a person say, well, I didn't have my way, so I'll get mine, my little crowd. Somebody else said, I didn't have my way, so they'll get their little crowd. I couldn't have my way, and so they get their over thing. And you know what you have? You have a one body, supposedly, broken up in so many fragments, then pieces, Paul said, wait a minute, that's mutilating the body face. It's just like chopping up a, a, a body on the altar and saying to the world, come on now. Paul said, the world's gonna laugh at you. They're gonna make fun of you. Well, I was going to say, to that man said to me on that stepladder, no, thank you. He said, listen, he said, I don't want to get involved in that group. If that's going on over there, he said, man, i got enough problems now. And he wasn't joking. He's very sick. Oh, listen to me tonight, church. Here's a lesson to our souls tonight. Here's a lesson God is saying to us. He is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit handing it to Paul and Paul putting it down to the Corinthian church and passing it on to us in this hour. He said there's the peril, the danger of fragmentation. A church can be broken to pieces. He said there's the pity of mutilation. When that happens, it's just like you cut the body up in pieces. But he said, I want a plea for restoration. He says, I beseech you. Listen carefully. Did you know what the mind of Christ is? Are you listening? When he says, let this mind be in you, and when he says here that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment, the word judgment there means discernment, understanding. He's saying the mind of Christ, he who was God. And if he had said, I'm going to claim equality with God, I mean, that wouldn't have been robbery. He wouldn't have been stealing from God. He was God. But he didn't come to this world to get his rights. He came to this world to lay down his life. The Bible says when he was threatened, in 1 Peter's letter, chapter 3, he didn't threaten back when people, I mean, when they mistreated him, he just took it willingly. The Bible says that he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Did you know when you and I take the lowest place and prefer the other person for Jesus' sake, did you know God starts to work with you in a hurry right then? When we start through life, and this not only happens in churches. This thing shows up in home. It'll take a little heaven out of the home and turn it, if you'll, pardon the crude expression, it'll turn a home into hell on earth. Where there's a man got to have his way, a woman's got to have her way. Really, that marriage relationship is each other giving themselves to each other and not thinking of their own welfare or happiness, but living to make the other person happy. And Paul is saying to a church, Get the mind of Christ. If somebody else wants to have the spotlight, let them have it. Don't create a hush. And the simple truth is, I said to a young preacher at my table this afternoon, I said to him, Don't you try to open doors across this country. You don't know the doors you need Open. I said, God can put you in any door He wants you in. And God can, will promote you in any hour He wants you promoted. You be willing to take the lowest place. Well, He didn't come among us as one that was great. He came among mankind on this earth as a lowly servant. To teach Simon Peter and others this truth, here he he took a towel, wrapped it around him, got down into, with a basin of water, and did a common act of courtesy in that day when they'd have the public bathing houses. They'd walk back with sandals, and oftentimes times the feet would be dusted, the feet, the, sho- the shoes be removed, and they'd wash the dust from the feet after they had a bath. And the servant does that. And I think he looked around the house, not Simon Peter, not James, not John. Everyone was waiting on the island to do the holy test. And Jesus did it. He reached over, got a towel and got down like this, and began to wash seat. And Simon Peter said, Well, you're a Simon realized that he ought to have been down there. Jesus said, Simon, you don't know, let me wash your teeth. You have no part. That word means communion, You can't fellowship. No, Peter just wanted to the other extreme. And said, well, if, well, if that be the case, just wash my head, my hands. Give me a bath. all Lord. And Jesus said, he that's already had a bath doesn't need to bathe. You see, the bath is salvation. You just need that one time. But you need to get your dirty feet washed. Amen. Pretty awful, amen. Yeah, Spiritually speaking. And literally too, amen. And so he's saying here, I plead, I, I beg you to come back together. And what's he talking about? This same mind? It's the lowly mind of Christ. Instead of me, go stand up for my rights. One fellow said to me, well, Brother said, is a democracy and I've got a right. Oh my, that's a wrong attitude to even start with. Listen, what rights does a dead person have? If you and I are dead to self and dead to self-will and self-ambition, I mean, the dead man doesn't have a lot of power and rights and needs. And in Jesus, we ought just say, Jesus, I yield to the And I do not say this in the way, but listen to me carefully. Right? You and I are willing to do that. We all ourselves need to do that. Whatever the go up is to go down. You, you know what to solve conflicts across this country tonight? You know what would cause, what would, what would solve that, 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 that peril, that danger of fragmentation that leads to that pitiful mutilation of churches tonight? Would be if people would say, not my will, but thine be done. And instead of actually, as it says in one place, and seeking the man's own welfare, is to, is to seek the welfare, and the word he used is the wealth of another. One man asked me about that one day. He said, look at that, that's a strange verse. He said, Lord, go out and seek the wealth of others. What's that mean? I said, don't mean what you're implying. I said, read the, the context. He doesn't call about you to steal his bank account. It says it's welfare. Don't think about our own welfare and interest, but seek the welfare of another. There's nothing on this earth this sweet is a family of God. Amen. Amen. For you come together and the Holy Spirit of God is presiding? Yeah. Uh, Preaching can be done with ease. Singing can go forth with a meal. You may have to be subda- discouraged and you only crawl in. But if God's power and presence is there, you go out and say, Hallelujah. Kind of kind of God in the church. And that's what God desires for every church across this country. And thank God there is no need. Amen. 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 I'll tell you real quick how to keep them ever having a fuss with their yeah, put your thinking cap on now and get this one. Listen, Jerry. I can tell you tonight. I mean, how you can ever, I mean, you can avoid any fuss or conflict, ever. It'll take two at least to do that. You refuse to be a party. I mean, just refuse it. Just say, Lord, you have to I'm not going to be. I ain't having this way. Your world won't come to an end if you don't have your way about something i mean be willing to let him have the piece of mind to say go ahead i'll do that and it's a god that takes notice when you do it let him have the spotlight let her have this yes. Amen. let them go ahead and just say under god i'm gonna serve you and i promise you god will put you in any position, in every position. God exalts you in any area that He calls and equips you to be a servant in. He puts every member in the body. He gives every member at least one talent, one gift, I should say. And when we get to the gifts over in the 12, 13, 14 chapter, that's going to be some interesting studies. We'll spend at least three Sunday nights just looking at the gifts individually. And it'll amaze some people in this room right now. Some of you have got some gifts of the spirit you've never discovered, and therefore you've never developed those gifts because you've never discovered the gift God gave you and every believer i can show you in the bible where they have at least one gift and the holy spirit puts us in the in the body and now, talking to the local church, I believe every born-again believer is in the in the church. I mean by that, the body of Christ that's going to go out in the rapture. I believe every person that's been born the Spirit of God, whether you're a Methodist or a Baptist or a Pentecostal or whatever tonight, if you've been born again, you're going to be in the rapture and you're in the church. But tonight, Paul's talking to a local group, and we're talking tonight to this local group right here. And Paul's saying, I want to talk to you about... This thing that splits up churches and causes the problem. He said, I plea for restoration. I beg you, he's saying, to come back together. Oh, as I said a moment ago, something wonderfully sweet and precious about a body that's in unity, where the Spirit of God presides, where Jesus is Lord, where love is, is obvious in that place. Did you know in the family, I'm talking now, in the physical, literal sense, where the ties are tender and where they're close, did you know you're prone and it's natural? You'll feel the burden of someone in your immediate family quicker. And you'll feel the burden with greater heaviness than you would a stranger or someone outside of your family. Of course, that's natural. And God gave you that feeling. Do you know tonight when there's a unity of the Spirit in the body of Christ, When one suffers, did you know the Bible says we're all to suffer with Him? Did you know the Bible says when one rejoices, we all rejoice with Him? I heard a story that illustrates this in a wonderful way not long ago. And he said that there was a boy and he was a a, a crippled boy. And he's a quite large boy, somewhat uh, uh, retarded mentally. And and yet he was uh, quite large, but he was physically crippled. And there was an older brother so tenderly cared for him and said that he would even literally, physically pick that boy up. Now, talk about a little brother, great big fella. Get him up on his shoulder and said just with joy and gratitude to be able to do it for his brother. You'd see him around in the neighborhood, carrying that boy, literally carrying him places sometimes. And someone said to him, In that fellow on your back that ...splits up churches and causes the problem. He said, I plea for restoration. I beg you, he's saying to come back together. Oh, as I said a moment ago, something wonderfully sweet and precious about a body that's in unity, where the Spirit of God presides, where Jesus is Lord, where love is is obvious in that place. Did you know in the family, I'm talking now, in the physical, literal sense, where the ties are tender and where they're close? Did you know you're prone and it's natural, you'll feel the burden of someone in your immediate family quicker? and you'll feel the burden with greater heaviness than you would a stranger or someone outside of your family. Of course, that's natural, and God gave you that feeling. Do you know tonight when there's a unity of the Spirit in the body of Christ, when one suffers, did you know the Bible says we we'll are all suffer with Him? Did you know the Bible says when one rejoices, we we'll all rejoice with Him? I heard a story that illustrates this in a wonderful way not long ago. And he said that there was a boy and he was a a, a crippled boy and he's a quite large boy, somewhat uh, uh, retarded mentally and and yet he was uh, quite large when he was physically crippled and there was an older brother so tenderly cared for him. And said that he would even literally, physically pick that boy up. Now, I'm talking about a little fellow, Great big fellow, Get him up on his show. And said just with joy and gratitude to be able to do it for his brother. You'd see him around in the neighborhood. Carrying that boy. Literally carrying him places sometimes. And someone said to him, Isn't that fellow on your back there a heavy burden? He said, No, mister. He's not a burden. He's my brother. <laughs> and I read that and I said, Hallelujah. It does make a difference. The Bible says friends love at all times. And the latter part of that verse in Proverbs says, but a brother is born for adversity. Now, somebody says, what's that mean? Well, a friend loves at all times. And the next word is not but. I quote it that way. The next word is and. And so he's going to connect, he says, and a brother is born for adversity. God says, I'm going to give you a brother to stand with you. When you have an adverse time, there's going to be a brother that will be a brother to you. He's called that. Now, I think some of my literal, physical brothers, Doc in particular, the other night, coming and hold a meeting with me, and I quoted that verse. And I said, Brother Doc, if anybody's ever been a brother to a brother, you have to meet him. And to my family. And I said, I just want a person, and I thanked him in the pulpit that night. I said, I want to thank you for being a brother that has stood with this brother in adverse situations. But you see, we're tonight talking about a tie that's even more tender and even more binding than the literal physical tie. I have people say this to me sometimes, Brother Hurt, they'll say, I even feel closer. And they'll pick out a brother or sisters in their fellowship, in their church. And said, I can have, in a sense, closer fellowship with them than I can my own brother or sister and literal brother or sister that's not saved. And I agreed with that. Somehow, if you've got a real brother, a real sister in the Lord, I mean, they are a brother. They are a sister. And there's something sweet about it. Paul said, there's the peril of fragmentation. There's the danger of just breaking a church to pieces. And then he said it'll be the pity of mutilation. If that happens, it'll be like a body cut to pieces. But he said, I want to have a plea for restoration. He said, I want to beg you, I want to beseech you to come back together, take the mind of Christ, that lowly mind. And as I said a moment ago, it takes two to fuss and argue and create a contention. And if you'll just refuse to ever do it, ask God to help you. I mean, next time you want to let the temper flare and you want to say something, and most of the time it's defending our own rights. It's not righteous indignation that we're fighting for somebody else's right. Most of the time, it's us we feel threatened. And we want to either lash out or we want to get on the phone or we want to somehow do something that will lead to cause that thing that he calls fragmentation, breaking it to pieces. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed.